0: 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 18. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metalworker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This week I uh, read the story
1: of Vanitha Risner, is her name, a girl who as a young girl contracted polio and so she walked with a limp and she describes this, says that from that moment on as a student in school I decided life wasn't fair and I was right, classmates bullied me throughout elementary school mocking me, imitating my pronounced limp, making me feel like a freak. But I didn't tell my family what was the point. They couldn't stop the bullying anyway. This was God's fault, if he even existed. At age 16, she came to Christ, and she writes, Now I was excited about the rest of my life. I was sure God would make my life easy and successful. Didn't I deserve it? (laughs) And at first, I had everything I wanted, but when I turned 30, life began to break down. My husband and I went through a serious marriage crisis, and I was afraid we wouldn't make it. After more than a year of intense counseling, when we were finally starting to rebuild trust, our unborn son Paul was diagnosed with a life threatening heart problem. I wondered to God why I was going through yet another hard thing. What had I done wrong? Little Paul had surgery. But it says, she writes, Two days later, Paul woke up in the middle of the night, screamed, and went limp in our arms. We rushed him to the ER, but the doctors couldn't revive him. Paul died at just two months old. And then my husband of 18 years told me he was leaving for someone else. A few weeks later, he moved to another state. We had worked hard to build love and trust. It seemed impossible that our marriage would crumble. Yet now I was a single parent with limited physical strength, taking care of two adolescent daughters whose worlds were crashing along with mine. Our once peaceful home felt like a war zone. This loss seemed even more unfair than the others, as now there was no one to carry the load with me. How could God love me and let all this happen? Did he even love me? I was exhausted physically, mentally, and emotionally as I homeschooled two girls who deeply questioned their faith after our family split. In my desperation, God showed me his love. I had known God's love and presence for decades, but now I began to turn to him for everything. Although I had a loving community, nothing in my life could really hold me up. No distractions, no hobbies, no relief. The Lord was all I had. And I found he really was enough. I found that sitting with God, reading the Bible, talking to Jesus made me happier than anything in my life ever had before. You know, when I read that story and I hear what she went through and all the pain and struggle and difficulty, I think, how could she face all that and still come out with a deep joy, in a sense that, as she put it, talking to Jesus made me happier than anything in my life ever had before. We all face difficult times. Life's tough. It's hard. We live in a fallen world, and it can come any time in our lives, young, old, whenever. But is it really possible to come through such times with a deep joy and a deep sense of God's love and grace. We've been journeying through the book of 2 Timothy this summer. It's Paul's last book, written right before his execution by Nero as he was beheaded in Rome. Over 30 years, the apostle had planted churches, served the Lord, done all kinds of great things for the kingdom of God. But he'd also experienced hunger and thirst and shipwreck and rejection before kings and all kinds of people. His own countrymen had rejected him, all for the gospel. But now at the end of his life, he's facing probably his greatest trial. As John Stott said, this could be considered Paul's Gethsemane. But he goes through it with a grace that allows him to finish well. Our passage today is one of the most personal in all of Paul's writings. The nine verses that Brenda just read, every one of those verses has a first personal pronoun in it as Paul is dealing with his own struggles right at the end of his life. And as Paul shares openly his struggles, and we dig into those a little bit, he will help us understand how we can face life at its worst in a way that will allow us to have joy and grace and know his love even in the midst of the hardest times. So let's pray together and then we'll look at this passage together. Lord, how we need to know how to walk through tough times with grace because we know that even if things are going well right now that we will face difficulty whether it's physical or emotional relational, whatever it is, that we will face those tough times. Oh, Lord, please use this passage to help us know how to trust you in a deeper way and find that grace and joy and love that we so desperately need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Because this is such a personal passage, but you can really miss what Paul's going through if you're not careful. I want to walk us through it slowly and I want to look at five painful experiences that Paul is experiencing as we see in this passage. It's easy to miss it if you just do a casual reading. First thing I see that Paul is experiencing is loneliness. He's lonely. Notice in verse 9 where he says, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Crescens is gone. Titus is gone. He's feeling a deep sense of loneliness. There's a sense of desperation in the way he puts it to Timothy here, his friend Timothy that he'd ministered with, that he'd grown close to over years of ministering, traveling together. You don't really see it, maybe clearly in English, but he says... Please be in a hurry to come to me quickly. And he adds, to me, he doesn't say just come. He says, please come to me. I need you, Timothy. I'm going through a really, really rough time. I need you. Now, Paul was the apostle, and did he trust Jesus? Did he really need all this? Well, absolutely. We're made for relationship. And yes, he trusted the Lord. Yes, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> but he still needed people in his life. And he was feeling an intensity of loneliness here that I think is so powerful and significant. We are made for relationship, even in the Garden of Eden before the, before the fall. <laughs> Remember, God said it's not good for man to be alone. We're created to need each other. In fact, we find Christ in relationship with one another to some degree. So Paul is longing for the comfort of human companionship. He, he's been left alone, and he's longing. He's lonely. He's trapped in a dungeon, alone in a dark, damp, dungeon in Rome and longing for Timothy to come as soon as possible. Some of you are living lonely lives. (laughs) You can be around people all the time and still feel lonely, can't we, sometimes? We need to be able to connect with people in a deeper way. Secondly, what I see in Paul, what he's experienced, is that he's wounded He's wounded. Verse 10, where he talks about Demas. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas is described a couple pages over in Philemon. He's mentioned by Paul as he writes and he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. You see, Demas was a fellow worker with Paul. he traveled with him. he shared the gospel. He was part of Paul's entourage as they ministered together to share the gospel. He was part of his ministry team. But this friend and co-worker, when Paul needed him most, when he's in prison, when he needed him to stand by him, it says D- Demas deserted him because he loved this present world. That word for deserted is one that's used in the New Testament almost always for Jesus' words on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you deserted me, forsaken me? Same word. It's an intensified word that describes the pain that he was feeling at this point of being abandoned. And he's wounded by this friend who not only has deserted him, but he's done it for a very specific reason. Because he loved the world, and not the things of God. You see, Paul was a victim of Demas's sin—his sin of loving the world over and above his love for God. Well, what was going on in Demas's heart and his mind? We don't really know. I mean, it's a good suggestion. I think that Demas was kind of had a foot in both worlds. You know, he he, he served God, but he really relied on the things of this world. He had stuff that he wanted to keep and he was afraid of. And seeing Paul in prison and being in front of the authorities and being afraid of maybe losing his own life and his own livelihood, he, at that point, made the choice to abandon Paul and the gospel because this world had become too important to him. Protecting the things of this world. So Paul was wounded by this friend, by his sin. All of us have been deeply wounded by the sins of others in our lives in various ways who have chosen the world above God, who have harmed us in various ways. We's, we're all wounded. It's unavoidable in a fallen world. Like Venitha was wounded by friends at school. Maybe you were too. She was wounded by her own husband who rejected her and left her. Many of you have wounds that are from family or friends or neighbors or whatever. And there's a real contrast here in verse 8 where it says, in the future there is laid up for me, Paul's talking, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. That word loved his appearing only occurs twice in the pastoral epistles. That's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Here in verse 8 and then in verse 10 where it says Demas loved this present world. That's the contrast for us. That's the challenge for every one of us, isn't it? Am I going to love the things of the world and put my weight there? Or am I going to love Christ's appearing and no matter what the world throws at me, my hope is in Jesus coming back and eternity with him forever. Is that where your weight is? Is that where your hope is? That's the challenge, isn't it? And Demas, because he was trying to live in two worlds, chose the world. See, we can't live in two worlds. We'll always choose the world if that's the way we're trying to live. If we're too afraid that following God will strip us of what we depend on here, status and power and wealth and control and all those things. Because of what Demas chose, he wounded Paul. He's deserted me. Third, I see what Paul was experiencing here is that he was physically needy. Now, there's hints of it in various ways. We see in verse 11 where it says, only Luke is with me. Who is Luke? He wrote a gospel, but he also is a physician, right? Why is a doctor staying with Paul and everybody else left? Well, I suspect because he was struggling physically. We know Paul had physical problems. He talks about it elsewhere, and there's hints of it in various places where he signs one of his letters. See with what large hands I'm writing. That was letting them know because he had eye problems, most scholars think. He talks about having a thorn in the flesh that he asked the Lord three times to take away. Now, we don't know if it was spiritual, emotional, or physical for sure. We don't, but... There's a good suggestion it was a physical problem and here he needs a doctor. And then a few verses down he says, please bring me a cloak, the one I left. He couldn't even get a coat to keep him warm in prison where he was. So please bring my coat. It's cold here. I'm hurting. Please, Timothy, come. Come in a hurry. You see, we all eventually have physical problems, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, from the time about, what, age 30, these bodies start to break down, and, and, but you can have problems any time in your life, and that's just part of life. We, we can relate. We get physically needy. It's difficult. I've walked with you as your pastor through many of you facing short-term and long-term illnesses, and it's just, it's just part of what we do. We walk through life that way. And there's false teaching out there, and again, I just feel like I need to highlight it because it's such a lie that somehow, if you have just a, if you just have enough faith, you wouldn't be sick. You know what? Everybody who teaches that dies. <laughs> they get sick. They have physical problems. Amazing, isn't it? No, for such for for most of us, I like what J.I. Packer says. He says, "Poor health may be the best remedy." For what's going on in our souls and needing Christ more and needing to trust him more, poor health may be <laughs> the best remedy for our lives. But Paul is clearly physically needy as well. He's going through some, a tough time there in prison. Fourth, he was betrayed. Betrayed. Verse 14 where it talks about Alexander the coppersmith. He did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Back in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, and following it says this, starting at verse 19, verse, let's see. Keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I've handed over to Satan, so they will be taught not to blaspheme. Apparently, Alexander was part of the Christian community. He had walked with Paul, but his faith had been shipwrecked, he says. But not only has that happened, but in our passage, he says, he did me much harm. And we don't know exactly what that was, although Paul uses words here that, that essentially could be translated... Alexander informed on me much evil. Informed on me. What could that be? Well, many scholars think that Alexander was the one who turned Paul into the authorities, got him arrested, so now he's in jail and will soon be executed. That Alexander did did him much harm, that though at one point he'd walked with Paul in ministry, he betrayed him to death. When I was uh, in my first pastorate, just a young pastor one of the leaders, church leaders in our church turned on me and forced me to leave and it was a very difficult time and I felt betrayed and, but I, I had an opportunity to go to another church as an inner pastor in another town. I went to that church and spent time there and I was enjoying it and and they were looking for a full-time pastor and so I applied for the position. The church leader from the original church called the leadership there to make sure I would not be hired. I felt betrayed. (laughs) But some of you have been betrayed far more significantly. Some of you have been betrayed by family, friends, In various ways, physical, sexual abuse, you've experienced terrible betrayal. Paul's experiencing betrayal here. And when someone you've trusted betrays you, whether it's family or friends, they've been unfaithful to you, they've lied to you, their co-worker or whatever, or even a pastor, that creates trauma in our souls. And Paul's experiencing that here. And fifth, and finally, what I see Paul's experiencing is that he's been abandoned. He describes that in verse 16. of my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. All abandoned me. That's the same word (laughs) from Psalm 22, verse 1. from Jesus' words, lips on the cross, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me, deserted me, forsaken me? You see, this was really difficult for Paul as he faced his defense. As he, in the Roman courts in those days, all your friends would show up at the court and and they would speak up for you and they would say, hey, he's a good guy. They would vouch for your character so you'd get a lighter sentence perhaps. And he says, at that defense... Everybody abandoned him. All. Were afraid or whatever. He experienced what Jesus did when Peter denied him and was left alone. He was abandoned. It's a deeply emotional word. And we have to ask ourselves, where have we been abandoned? Where have you been abandoned? Those who you thought would stay with you in your time of greatest need. And they suddenly weren't there. They're absent, too busy, too afraid, too selfish or whatever, too busy, too too much going on. You see, abandonment is really painful. They've done plenty of studies of children, and they've shown that when you have a child, uh, an infant who's neglected, who's not held but just left... Their brains don't develop. They're much smaller and they don't have as much brain activity. They don't end up being able to function nearly well in, as well in life socially or mentally because of the neglect. That's why children so often in a family, in a home where they're neglected, will act out to get negative attention because negative attention at least is better than neglect. And Paul's experiencing this kind of neglect, of abandonment. He's lonely, he's wounded, he's physically needy. He's been betrayed and abandoned by those he counted on. I'd like to think only Paul would face all these, but they're just part of life in a fallen world for us, aren't they? So the question isn't, how can we avoid these? That's not possible. The question is, how can we walk through them in a way where God's grace will be poured out and will depend on him in a way where we still express the good news of the gospel to those around us and where we still experience his love and mercy and goodness even in the midst of the tough times? Well, I think Paul helps us by his example as I, again, want to highlight five godly responses I see in Paul's life here. Number 1 what i see is he keeps seeking community. He keeps on seeking community. Verse 9 where it says make every effort to come to me soon Timothy i need you here. And by the way you'll notice each one of these begins with keep on. <laughs> you see i think these are things we have to build into our lives now. They should be part of our lives all the time if If we just try to fit these into our lives, when things get hard, then we're going to end up like Demas and we're just going to check out. Keep on seeking community. When we're hurting, there's a tendency for many of us to just want to withdraw because the pain is great and we're hurting and we've been betrayed and people have hurt us. Why would I want to hang out with people? Paul's been betrayed and abandoned by those around him, and yet he reaches out to someone he trusts, Timothy, that he feels safe with and says, I need you in my life as soon as possible. I, I need you. It's easy to think, yeah, if, I, if I'm really godly, I shouldn't need people. Well, that's just not true. That's a lie. What we tend to do then, instead of seeking out relationship, is we isolate and when we're hurting, don't we all have our medication we go to? <laughs> it could be alcohol or medication, but it might just be binging on Netflix. Working through Facebook, that's no relationship. Or other social media, or gaming, or heading out in nature. Idaho's great for that. But what we tend to do is isolate And all those things can be used to isolate us. But Paul is intensely vulnerable here. He's been hurt, and yet he reaches out. He keeps seeking community, even though we've been abandoned and betrayed. So it's an encouragement, I think, to us to keep seeking community. Seek deeper community with others around you. I think every one of us should have at least one or two or three or four people who really know our story, who know the pain that we've been through and know our sin issues and our addiction issues, who know our life and yet we've experienced God's grace and their acceptance of us. We need those kind of people in our lives. Last spring, I led a group of men, 10 of us, went through Uh, workbook, Life Change for Every Christian. It's, uh, It's something that just helps you ask the hard questions about the woundedness in your life and about the sin in your life and the garbage in your life and helps you begin sharing your life together. And it was 14 weeks but in those 14 weeks many of us shared things that we'd never shared before. And we experienced God's grace and his goodness in that group. By the way, men, we're going to start some groups this fall again. Keep an eye out. I would really encourage you to be in one of those. They're confidential, but it's an opportunity to get into one another's lives. But you don't need that. I'm just saying you need somebody. You need someone who knows you well and knows your hurts. We we need to keep seeking community and not isolate, or we can get into real trouble. Secondly, what I see Paul doing is he keeps serving. He keeps serving. He keeps on serving. Verse 11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for service. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean for serving him? I don't think so. I think I I need him so I can continue doing ministry. He'll help me do that. I want Mark to come. So I can continue serving. And later on we see him continuing even in prison to proclaim the gospel every chance he gets. Paul has a heart that even in his toughest times he still has a heart for serving. And again, it's easy to just kind of withdraw when we're hurting, but I think this is an encouragement. We need to be finding ways to continue to serve even at our toughest times. And I have found people in this body who are Bedridden, who are struggling, who can't do anything physically, and yet they've chosen to have a heart of service. Maybe they are able to write notes of encouragement or at least pray for others, and they're continuing to think of ways that they can serve others to make a phone call or whatever. Wherever God has placed you, whatever your issues are, don't stop serving because that'll help you experience God's grace in the midst of the pain and the struggle. Third, what I see, Paul, and this is really significant, I think, is he keeps forgiving. (laughs) He's experiencing real pain from other relationships who have hurt him, but he keeps forgiving. We see it several times in this passage, like when he says, pick up Mark and bring him with you. Remember who Mark is? (laughs) He's the guy in Acts, who when Barnabas and Paul were in Pamphylia on the first missionary journey, Mark whatever happened he got afraid and he abandoned them he left them and the next time they were going to go out on the second missionary journey Paul and Barnabas and Paul said I'm not taking Mark I can't trust that guy but now notice what's happened bring him I need him for service he's learned to forgive and he's forgiven and he keeps forgiving. Notice verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Now does that sound like forgiveness? I think it is. (laughs) I think it is because when you're unforgiving, you want to punish that person and you're looking for a way to do it yourself. You may give them the silent treatment. You may just find a way to be mean or do something to them or whatever, but you want to repay them. At least in your thinking, you're trying to repay them. But Paul says, he did me much harm, but you know what? I'm leaving it in God's hands. I think that's forgiveness. Now, he warns Timothy and says, hey, don't, don't get too close. You can't trust this guy, because, but he still forgives, I believe. And then you notice verse 16, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. They abandoned me at my time of need, but Lord, please, I'm forgiving them. Don't let it be held against them. You see, when you're hurting, and especially when others have done you harm, the tendency is to fall into anger and resentment, isn't it? But if you're not practicing forgiveness every day from those who harm you, if you're not continuing to forgive now, then when things get really tough, you're going to be eaten up by that resentment and it will destroy your ability to trust God. What is real forgiveness? Well, there's a lot of descriptions that are helpful. Dan Allender has a description, three parts to forgiveness that's been really helpful to me. Number one, letting go of payback you leave it in God's hands as we see him do with Alexander. I'm not going to punish the person. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to... I'm just going to leave it in God's hands. Secondly, if you've really forgiven, you allow your heart to be softened where you actually, number two, desire reconciliation. See, I don't think we've really forgiven until we desire reconciliation. Reconciliation. Where we don't just say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to let it go. I'm not mad. I've forgiven, but I, I never want to be around that person again. I don't think that's forgiveness. I think forgiveness is, oh, I wish a relationship could be healed. I long for that. It can't right now because of what the person has done. I hope someday their hearts will be softened and that we can somehow be reconciled. But until your heart longs for that, I don't think you've really forgiven. And then third, looking for a way to demonstrate God's love to them. Now let me say, let me put up a caution here. That doesn't mean if someone's really harmed you and they've never repented of that, that you put them in a place where you're vulnerable again. That doesn't mean that. I mean, he says, hey, watch out for this guy. But it does mean that you look for a way to show them love. And it might be just praying for them. But if you can't pray for good on that person, then you haven't forgiven. And let me say, forgiveness is so important. I just think it's so important to God that we don't get stuck in resentment and anger. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount where He he shares the Lord's Prayer, and right after that he says, Oh, and by the way, if you don't forgive your brother who has sinned against you, then God will not forgive you. I don't know about you, but those words are like, Whoa, wait a minute. That sounds like legalism or something. What are you saying here, Jesus? Well, I think what he's saying is this. Forgiveness, our experience of God's forgiveness, and our forgiveness of others are so tightly joined together that if we can't forgive someone else, it means that somehow we haven't really understood God's forgiveness of us. And so, wrestle with that. If there's someone you cannot forgive, then I don't believe you've understood God's grace and his forgiveness. Fourth, what I see Paul doing is that he keeps proclaiming. Verse 17 where he says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The proclamation might be accomplished that even in my trial I proclaimed Jesus. I was looking for a way to talk about him. You see, that's something that we need to keep on doing. We need to make that part of our lives. We need to be bold about sharing Jesus now so that when we get in the fire, we'll be able to do it then. And, you know, I love teaching the Word, but for me to be bold, it's a challenge sometimes. I was at the gym just this week, and there's a guy I've been chatting with and getting to know him, and he never asked me any questions about me, of course. But we were talking about what I did this summer, and, you know, he he has very colorful language. So I said, well, I visited my son in, in, who lives in the Middle East with his family, his four little girls, and he's like, why would he live there? And I said, well, it was like I knew I had a choice at that point. Do I talk about the Lord? I don't think this guy's going to get it, but do I be bold or not? And I said, well, you know what? He really has prayed, and he feels like God's called him to serve there overseas to work with refugees and those who are really hurting. And he looked at me kind of weird and he kind of turned around and (laughs) walked away. But you know what I realized? That's what we need to do. We need to be bold and people may not understand, but that's okay. And I'm not very good at it, but hopefully I'll learn to get better. But we need to keep proclaiming and build it into our lives now so we can be a witness for Jesus at the toughest times. And then finally, what we see Paul doing, and this is, of course, most important, he keeps trusting Jesus. He keeps on trusting Jesus where he says the Lord stood with me, strengthened me, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. I love Paul's perspective here because what he says is, you know, God's going to rescue me even if I get beheaded. I'm still rescued because he's going to take me into his heavenly kingdom. And yeah, he rescued me once from the lion's mouth. By the way, what that is about is Paul, as a Roman citizen, would have never been thrown to the lions, literally, so he's being figurative here, talking about beheading. At least he was saved the first time. But then, ultimately, we know he was beheaded. But Paul's deeply hurting, but in the midst of the hurting, because this has been part of his life, built into his life all along, he keeps his eyes on Jesus. He keeps his eyes on the fact that Jesus is present with him right now, he keeps his eyes on the fact that God in the past has rescued him when he's needed it. And he keeps his eyes on the future that God's there too <laughs> and going to take him into his heavenly kingdom. Past, present, future, Jesus is there. I see him everywhere. He's with me. And I love that perspective of how he, he, just, he has no more hope for earthly good. That's all been stripped away. But he can't wait to see Jesus face to face. I want you to look at these five things here. And just ask yourself, what things do I need to keep on building into my life right now? What's at least one of those things that I want to commit to have God to begin to pray about that I would be able to make this more and more part of my life so I'll be ready when the tougher times come. In the end, we'll all go through the worst of times. (laughs) But they'll tend to bring out what's already in us. The question is, have we kept on doing these things? Are they part of us already like they were for Paul? Have we built into our lives the foundation of close friendships where people know us and we know them? They know our story. Have we built a foundation of service, of forgiveness, of proclaiming the gospel, of trusting Jesus? Or are we like Demas? With one foot trying to find life in this world and we keep scrambling to find security in what this world has to offer. Because if that's what we're doing when the tough times come and the rains and the storms, that's going to be washed away and we are going to fall flat on our faces. I think that's the challenge of this passage. Do we love his coming? Or like Demas, do we love what this world offers? Are we really ready for what's coming? Venita Resner ends this way. I'm beyond grateful that Christ met me at age 16, so now I can spend eternity with him. But get this, I'm also grateful for my suffering, because through it, God has transformed me and made me love him even more. In fact, I echo the words of Johnny Erickson Tada. Many of you know her story, but she, at a diving accident at age 16, became a quadriplegic who said, I wouldn't trade places with anyone to be this close to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we've looked at what Paul was experiencing and all that pain, it stirs up in us just how hard life has been and continues to be for all of us. Lord, help us Keep on doing the things we need to, to draw close to you, to trust you, to go deep with you, to watch and see you at work in us, standing with us through those times so that we can be prepared for whatever else might be coming our way, so we can walk through them with grace, and that in the end, as Paul ends this passage, may you get all the glory forever and ever. Amen.